You're listening to Minding the Brain with Dr. Kim Hellemans and Dr. Jim Davies. Episode 36, Dreams. Dreaming is a universal human phenomenon. We all do it, but it's still very mysterious. Today, we're going to talk about the science of dreaming and what we know about it so far. Now, we know that we dream when we sleep, but can we get any more specific than that? When we're sleeping, we have two phases of sleep, as we talked about in the sleep episode. And one is deep sleep, and the other is REM sleep. That's rapid eye movement. Uh, We can dream during both, but the deep sleep dreams are short and dull, and they're not described as being dreamlike. The ones that are more interesting and memorable happen during REM sleep. Now, REM, uh, for those of you that haven't listened to our sleep episode, stands for rapid eye movement sleep. And so we know that if you're looking at somebody while they're in REM sleep, uh, underneath their eyeballs, uh, underneath their eyelids, I should say, their eyes are moving back and forth. Um, So would you say they're tracking what you're seeing in the dream? Is that what's happening? That's a good question. Um, And that is very controversial. So people don't know if REM sleep is just random eye movement back and forth, or it's tracking things. There are scientists who argue for both sides. Hmm. And now another question I commonly get is whether everybody actually dreams. Like there's some people, uh, some of my students will say, I never dream. Um, Is there evidence to say that everybody's dreaming? Yeah, as far as we know, everybody dreams. It's um, just that people don't always remember their dreams. So people dreaming is kind of confounded with their memories of them uh, for most situations. Um, And when you do remember the dreams you've had, you're only remembering a fraction of the ones you had the night before. So even people who think they say they dream a lot, they're only remembering a few of them. So why why do we forget our dreams? We don't really know why that happens. Um, It might have to do with the fact that uh, a certain part of your brain, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, is deactivated. Um, But You know, there might be some function to dreams, and we're not sure what that is either, but it could be that if you remembered your dreams the same way you remembered everything else that happened in your life, you'd make some bad decisions, right? So, for example, well, if you dream that, like, somebody close to you did something really Uh. bad to you, right? If you were to remember that just as vividly as any waking experience, you might have a bad opinion of that person, right? It might be hard to even distinguish distant dreams from distant uh, past events, right? And you might have had an experience where you had a bad dream about somebody and the next day you're mad at them for no good reason, you know? Imagine if, like, you remembered everything that happened just as vividly. So, uh, yeah, it might be that there's a benefit to forgetting those dreams. That's interesting. Yeah, sometimes I have dreams that my husband cheats on me and I'm really annoyed with him in the morning. But, yeah, you you raise raise an interesting point because it's, it's, you know, as a neuroscientist, I'm interested in where our memories for dreams are located is is it in the same location as our memories for real events, right? And if they are somewhat stored in similar locations or similar circuits, I should say, then we might not be able to distinguish between a dream or an, and a memory. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I think see people do sometimes confuse them. I wouldn't think that there's a separate place to store them. I, no. I, I think it's more likely that... Um, They're just not put into long-term memory as often. Cool. So let's talk about the content of dreams. People are always fascinated with this. And, you know, I'm sure everybody can conjure up a dream that they've had in the last little while. And and often you'll hear people say, I had this really strange dream, right? Right. Dreams have a reputation for being bizarre. Um, And some dreams are very strange, but in general, they're not. It's um, the reason we think that is because 
the dreams that people tend to think about and talk to others about are the weird ones. Um, so I had a dream once of like a guy was getting, I was at a funeral for a guy and he insisted that all 10 toes be buried in tiny little coffins. Oh my and, God. And that, right. So you laugh. I, I get a lot of mileage out of telling this story. I've told it for like 30 years and I remember it really clearly because I keep rehearsing it by talking about it. But when you do careful studies, you find that most dreams are actually pretty boring. Oh, wait, hold on. So there is there is a careful way to study dreams? Yeah, right. So the problem with simply asking people what their dreams are like is that um, what they say is subject to the memory biases that we were just talking about. People only remember the dreams that were um, near the near wake time, and they tend to remember over the long haul the dreams that they think about and talk about and, re and basically rehearse. But a better way to ask uh, to get data about dreams is to ask them to keep a dream diary. So mm. every morning, write down the dreams that you just had, like as soon as you wake up. Um, often people find that, you know, by the time they've gone to the bathroom, they've forgotten their dreams, right? But the best way to do it is to bring them into a sleep lab. So they sleep in a lab, and then you've got some grad student waking them up at various points during the night and say, hey, what were you dreaming? <laughs> and when you do this, you find that that's how we know that people have a lot more dreams than they remember. Uh, but we also find that they are dreaming during deep sleep, uh, and they're dreaming a, uh, a lot more than they remember in the morning. You know, th this is just very expensive to do. Running a sleep lab requires a lot of space and personnel willing to work all night. Like, we don't even have a sleep lab at Carleton. Well, I have a little anecdote here that when I was a PhD student at Queen's University, they did have a sleep lab. So what was really cool was that uh, the students could take a course on sleep and dreaming. And part of the course requirements, they would actually spend the night in the sleep lab. And they would each take turns. They would be working in, in grooves. And they would have a turn where they would be the one that was sleeping. And then their partner would be the one recording their EEG and or looking at their their different states of sleep. Did you take that class? No, no. I was a grad student. So it was for undergrads. Oh, and then the, the opposite. So they would take turns being the experimenter and then and the person uh, in the sleep lab, which was pretty cool. But yeah, we, we don't have that at Carleton, sadly. Um, so, you know, like, it's interesting you say about how uh, there are definitely more boring types of dreams, right? Like, so I, I often mm. will have dreams where I need to use the bathroom, which is pretty, oh, me too. pretty boring. Me too. Like, you dream you have to use a bathroom, you're running around, you can't find one, or it's occupied, or the door's locked, or for whatever reason, you can't relieve yourself. Um, a lot of dreams are boring like that. Um, but that actually brings up an interesting issue. So for the most part, during a dream, you are responding only to things generated by your own mind. And things from the outside world rarely enter into it. So your sensory apparatus are, are kind of shut down in the sense that you're not reacting to being in a bed, you're reacting to what you're dreaming about. But sometimes things from the outside world do sort of inf mm. uh, you know, get in the way of the dream. So if you, if you actually have to go to the bathroom or you might hear a loud noise, it could get incorporated into the dream, often in some other form. Um, so I, I remember hearing about one person who's dreaming of being strangled and then woke up and his pillowcase had gotten wrapped around his neck. Yeah, and there's people who say, like, uh, when their alarm's going off, they might interpret it as, like, a fire alarm or a siren or something, right? right so it's, it's, right, it's, right. it's the way of the environment kind of penetrating into your dreamscape to wake you up. Like, even when I'm dreaming, I have to go to the bathroom. I actually have to go to the bathroom. I need to get up. Yes. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> now, I've heard also some weird figure um, that about 70% of people dream about their teeth falling out. Yes, yes. That's a little bit mysterious. We don't really understand that one. But there is a theory, and that is that it's the result of grinding your teeth, uh, called bruxism. So 
you know, the idea is if you're grinding your teeth at night, your mind might interpret that as your mm. teeth falling out. But that's very speculative. We don't really know why so hmm. many people dream of their teeth falling out. Um, but on the rare occasions when dreams are bizarre, um, one, another really interesting thing is that we tend not to notice it during the dream itself. We, we kind of accept the dream's hmm. reality for what it is. Uh, while we're having it, and only after we wake up and think about it, we're like, boy, what, you know, that was strange. Yeah, I think like you said earlier, um, I think it's because the parts of our brain, like our frontal lobe, the frontal areas, mm-hmm. are disengaged during dreaming. Like you said, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is one of the, the subdivisions of the, of the prefrontal lobe. And so that part of your mind does mostly what's we would call critical thinking. And it's right. disabled, which may, may be part of the explanation for why we don't notice how weird a dream is while it's happening, because you're not able to think critically about the oddness of your dream. Yeah. And, you know, studies <clears throat> also show people's critical thinking in general is, is fairly disabled during dreaming. Um, and, you know, that part of your mind is also used for inhibition of, like, your more animal instincts. So, you know, if you have the urge to slap somebody and you don't, it's because your prefrontal cortex is saying, nope, it's not a good idea. Mm. Um, and this is the theory for why people often in their dreams do things that they would never do in real life, like savage acts of violence and sexual acts that they wouldn't engage in, you know, like cheating, for example, right? So some yeah, people right. hmm. like would would never cheat in real life or would take a lot to get them to do it, but it happens frequently in dreams. Why is that? Um, well, it might be because hmm. of the inhibition of... The part that does the inhibiting. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So then, okay, so of course there's people who think that our dreams have meaning, right? So like for mm-hmm. Freudian psychoanalysis or there's people who, you know, there's all kinds of like dream interpretation dictionaries online that you can find. Um, but, you know, I don't think any of that has merit. Obviously, there's nothing that's been scientifically proven. But why do we dream about what we dream about? You know, what is the, the best scientific explanation for that? Because sometimes I'll have a dream and I've also, I haven't even thought about in a good, you know, 15, 20 years. That's a great question. And scientists have done a lot of studies trying to get people to dream about certain things. <laughs> and the funny thing is that it almost never works. Hmm. So if you show people films before they go to sleep, you ask them to think about something before they go to sleep, uh, you know, and then that doesn't seem to enter the dream very often. And even recent events. Hmm. don't seem to be dreamed about very often. Does anything work at all? Well, they found that if you think about a specific problem before you go to sleep, sometimes the dream will be related to that problem. So, you're, you know, the idea is that your mind might be working on, subconsciously working on problems, uh, and they call that dream incubation. Hmm. Kind of reminds me of one of the dream theories that I'm sure you'll probably go into, but it's like as if the, the thing that puts content in your dream has its own agenda completely. Um, would you right. say then that the dreams might have a metaphorical meaning? Like, I feel like we are kind of treading into Freudian territory here, but, you know, let's go there. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and the fact that you're, like, you might interpret an alarm clock as a siren suggests that there could be metaphorical things going on. I love this topic. Um, it's very difficult to answer that question scientifically, right? So when let's just say that somebody dreams about a bear and in the morning or talk, after talking to their therapist or whatever, they, they realize the bear represents their father, right? Now, how would we know scientifically that the bear actually represented the father? <laughs> like, what experiment could you do to determine, yep, it was the father, right? Uh, now, that's very challenging. And the only way I can think of that we could do that is if we had such a detailed understanding of how the indivi- that individual's mind worked that mm-hmm. we could figure out that the mind was thinking about the father, searched for an analogous concept, picked a bear and placed it in the dream 
you know, and that was all like caused by the goal to solve some problem about the father, right? <laughs> we don't have anything like that kind of detail, mm-hmm. uh, at least not yet. Now, the fact that many people think that the stuff in their dreams is symbolic or metaphorical, um, maybe that's suggestive, but, you know, people are wrong all the time about like what's going on in their heads. But one little bit of evidence I thought was enlightening. Uh, after 9-11, many people in New York City dreamed about disasters more than they normally would. But interestingly, they didn't dream about 9-11. Like, I mean, some people did, of course, but there were many non-9-11 disaster dreams. There Mm. were other disasters. So it's not definite proof, but suggestive that our minds um, think metaphorically in dreams. You know, it's not to say that they're... Like, I'll say there's very little scientific evidence that it's metaphorical, but that's not because we searched for it and failed to find it. It's that we... It's very hard to think of a scientific experiment that would even experiment that would even speak to the issue. So why would people have dreams that involve disasters? And I'm sure this is happening now with the pandemic, right? For those of you listening in 2030, we're recording this in 2020 when we're still in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm sure we're seeing evidence of people dreaming potentially, if that's true, of other, you know, disaster pandemic-like events. Why not just dream about your father or 9-11 or anything else? Like, why why in metaphor? You know, that's asking, like, what's the, is there any benefit to dreaming in metaphors? And maybe, okay, this gets into um, the main theory of why we have dreams at all. And when I say the main theory, there are competing theories. Uh, and this is the one that I think has the most acceptance among scientists, which doesn't mean it's true, but it's uh, interesting. And that theory is that dreams are practice for real life. So primarily social situations and threatening situations, um, these are all very common in dreams. And the idea is that your mind is rehearsing what to do in these situations in kind of a safe space, like a like kind of like a self-created virtual reality. So you can practice running away from somebody without mm. getting hurt. Um, anyway, so maybe the reason that we dream metaphorically is so that we get practice with many different types of the same kind of thing, right? So you know, maybe 9-11 is not going to happen again, but something like 9-11 might happen and your mind is preparing you for all, you know, possible eventualities because according to this theory, the reason you're dreaming at all is to help you prepare for the future and the future might not be exactly what happened last time. Interesting. Is there any evidence for this theory? Well, one bit of evidence is that people tend to react appropriately to things in their dreams. Now, this may sound obvious, but, you know, since dreams are completely made up, like they you know, maybe you'd act inappropriately. But in general, if you're getting chased in your dream by a dangerous man, you're likely to try to run or hide or fight or something like that. So that, you know, that suggests that maybe, you know, you're practicing. Also, people are more likely to dream about bad things. Mm. It happens about twice as often as having nice dreams. You have stressful or fearful dreams, which suggests that, like, uh, you know, why are you dreaming so many negative things, right? So they're more critical to practice. Mm. So that's the theory. Yeah, and I've heard there's a study at McGill where they canvassed people's dreaming and, and more males had these kinds of dreams than females. So Males had more negative dreams? Yeah, and more dreams that where they had to like chase, be, they were being chased, they had to fight off a predator, fight, you know, like act in mm. sort of aggressive ways, you know, which makes me wonder, do people think that this has evolved or this is an evolved trait to, to do this, right? It's conferred some kind of benefit. Yeah, so... Um, you know, asking whether it evolved is a little ambiguous. Like, 
you know, in, in some sense, everything evolved. But I think what people mean, and I think what you mean by that question is, was it adaptive? Like, mm, yeah. you know, is dream, like dream, did dreaming just sort of come about because of different things going on? Or were, was is there actually a, a function for it? And that was selected for, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Anyway, according to this theory, yes, it is. It is evolved. Um, and this theory says that we evolved to dream a very long time ago, maybe even before we were human. And evidence for that is that people tend to dream about what are called ancestral threats more than modern threats, or at least way more than they're represented in our waking life. What do you mean? Well, a very common dream, for example, is being chased by a dangerous animal or a monster or a man. Uh, and this is something our ancient ancestors would have had to deal with. But well, not monsters anyway, but like in the industrialized <laughs> world, this really rarely happens. You know, like yeah. when was the last time you were chased by a wolf, right? Or a kid was chased by a wolf. But kids dream about getting chased by wolves. Um, they, uh, and the fact that children do it a lot. And, and in that lessens. So, so children dream about ancestral threats more than adults. And generally when children do something more than adults, it's taken as mm. one, one bit of evidence that something is instinctive. Um, another bit of evidence is that we tend to encode procedural memories during REM sleep. So I think we talked about this in the sleep episode. Deep sleep encodes more like facts and REM sleep you're putting into long-term memory like things that you're able to do, okay? And then many of our dreams involve physical movement. So, you know, this suggests that maybe you are practicing and encoding procedural memories of how to do things during REM sleep. Fascinating. And people also have nightmares about horror movies. Yeah, so if you're... Right, so if you're dreaming to practice... Then why are you practicing something that's totally fictional, right? <laughs> so this is this is a bit of a paradox, uh, and I explored this a bit in my first book, Riveted. What I think is going on here is that a lot of your mind doesn't realize you're watching a movie. So of course, when you're watching a horror movie, hmm. you can say, "Yes, I know it's a movie," right? But you can't help but see, like if you're watching a movie in a in a cinema. Right. That's light on a screen. You cannot see it just as light on a screen. You will see faces. You will see you will hear voices. You can't interpret it as it literally is. You have to interpret it as what it depicts. And this is, you know, a lot of your mind can't help but interpret it as real. Mm. So Mm. what I think is happening is that your mind sees it and only a small part of your mind knows it's a movie and the rest of it thinks it saw something. And then this is the way I sort of anthropomorphize the decision making in the mind. It's like, oh, my God, I saw zombies (laughs) trashing a town. What am I going to do when this happens to me? I need to practice this to death in my dreams. So, you know, this is this is my this is my little idea of why. We uh, dream about horror movies is because, you know, it's a dangerous situation. Dreams are for practicing how you're going to act in dangerous situations. And your mind doesn't really know that it was completely fake. Fascinating. According to this theory of, of dreaming, it would make sense that you're using the same brain areas in your dreams to move as you use it in real life. Right. And that's exactly what happens when you're sleeping. Your mind plans and executes motor movements in the brain just as it would during waking hours. And they've seen this in rat studies, right? They're measuring uh, cortical activity in key brain regions of, of the rat. And, and they, you know, scientists have shown that when a rat is running a maze while it's awake, I think we talked about the sleeping one, it, you, you see the same activity in, in sleep. So all the signals are stopped um, before they can reach the muscles normally. Well, in our dreaming anyway. So the brain's the brain is like like sending out the signals and then they just don't make it to the muscles. Right? Yeah, it's it's inhibited beyond the the signal saying move your arms. 
it doesn't happen. So when people sleepwalk or something, is that because of a problem with this, inter- like interrupting the signals? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a kind of a mild form of a sleep dysomnia, it's called. Um, and it's an interruption of the commands, uh, which we know as a, it's called muscle atonia. So when you lose muscle tone, right? And that's normally what should happen during REM sleep. And even horses, if you watch them, uh, like animals that normally stand up uh, when they're sleeping, they need to sit down when they're in, in the REM sleep. So mammals. And if there's something wrong with the system, people can act out what they're doing in their dreams with their bodies, potentially hurting themselves or others. And interestingly, my father-in-law has uh, a more severe form of this where he always acts out his dreams uh, and he's punched and kicked my mother-in-law frequently uh, throughout their their marriage. So she always jokes that she should have um, some, like (laughs) she should write some, something that's witnessed by a lawyer (laughs) to say like, if I was killed (laughs) in the middle of the night, it wasn't on. Purpose, but he's, well. He, now this podcast is evidence, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he's a, he's an avid hunter, so he's often like scrabbling at animals, like like that he thinks are chasing him in his dreams. Um, and he he'll yell out too, which you know, like a lot of people, like even your voice uh, controls your the muscles that move your throat are are inhibited as well. Um, and so he'll yell out, and you'll know he's having uh, this kind of episode. Anyway, the brain that does uh, this part of like the the shutting down the muscle atonia is called the pond. It's a very deep um, lower brain region kind of in behind just at the base of your neck there or at the top of your neck Um, and in studies of cats if you actually disable this region of the brain they'll engage in stalking behavior during REM sleep so it does provide further support that um, having this uh, brain uh, the pons being active is necessary for shutting down motor control well, that's interesting because like that was a study of cats and and we can sort of by by disabling their pawns we can kind of see what they're dreaming about in sense of how their body moves mm-hmm. and that and the rat study seems like evidence that cats and maybe mammals in general are dreaming mm-hmm. yes but dreams are obviously ultimately subjective so it's hard to know if uh certain mammals or even babies dream um you know it has some kind of function but other animals might benefit from that function as well uh, and there's, in fact, some dream scientists who don't think that dreams have a function at all. What? Who are these madmen? Neuroscientists. <laughs> 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 we, yes, neuroscientists actually have a, you know, a very different interpretation of what, what the role of dreaming is. In fact, they, they say that it really doesn't have a function. It's kind of an offshoot or a, an exaption, if you will. So the idea comes from studies of what the brain is doing during dreaming. And we know that the brainstem, and that, like I was saying, the, the very back part of the brain uh, where the pons is located tends to be quite active. And what's happening is all these cells in the back part of your brain are firing and it's sending all their, like the, the neurons, their axons are going into uh, the front parts of our brain. So they're firing and they're sending signals forward. And some scientists actually suggest that this information is quite chaotic. And others say that it might hold like motor activities such as running. But the idea is that the rest of the brain is just kind of trying to make sense of this chaotic information. So it's sending these signals and the, you know, the, the front parts of our brain are just kind of trying to interpret that. And that interpretation of what these random signals are is dreams. So dreams, on this theory, dreams are just making stories about random information? Exactly. It sounds a lot like improv. So, like, when you get a random suggestion and then you just make a story out of it? Yeah. Maybe they should call it the improv theory of dreams or yes and theory of dreams. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know, did I get that right? Improv is about yes and, right? It is about yes and. Yes, I did. I did improv for many years, and it is. I did. Yes and is key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it seems to me, Kim, that these these theories aren't really incompatible. Um, it might be that there is random information going forward in the brain, and mm. then the dream is created based on it, just like this uh, non-functional theory states. But um, that doesn't mean that the mind isn't creating some kind of useful thing out of the stories that it makes. Yeah, right? there might the practice function might be still being done on by sure. making stories that involve practice on the random information. And I do think that there is some evidence that if, if whatever emotional state that you are currently experiencing, be it anxiety, sadness, or grief, or joy, uh, that tends to um, more direct the content of your dreams than anything else. So if you're, you know, imagine like that could be the explanation for the 9-11 thing, right? People are feeling really anxious and scared and worried and concerned, and that might manifest into a dream about a disaster. Nevertheless, dreams are, you know, there are this understudied phenomenon, and this is kind of shocking. And given how many hours of our life we spend engaged in sleep and dreaming. Yeah. You know, I, I bet the reason that anybody studies it at all is because everybody dreams, um, sometimes scientists are skeptical of things that they don't experience themselves. Like it took a long time for scientists to accept like synesthesia and mm-hmm. which is like, you know, when you hear colors or something like that, just because, you know, they, they didn't experience it. So you know, they were skeptical. Um, but I, you know, I think that there's a function to dreaming, um, even if we don't know exactly what it is. One thing is that if you stop people from dreaming, so if you like wake them up every time they enter REM sleep, what they're going to do is they're going to start hallucinating when they're awake, mm-hmm. which is kind of it suggests that dreaming serves some kind of important function because your body is like willing to put you in a hallucinatory state while you're awake, just so you can you can uh, get that kind of a dream experience. Hmm. So you know how you when you're dreaming about something scary, you're actually frightened. Yes, yes, and most people's emotional responses to things in their dreams are pretty spot on. Well, I've heard there's a theory that you're not scared because of the things in your dream. What you when you it's it's that what you're dreaming about something scary is because you're scared to begin with. Again, it's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. Because the direction of information flow in the brain, it's possible that your emotion is created first, and then a dream is created to make sense of that emotion. I think Wait, that's, so. The dream the dream improv troupe is taking random information and an emotion. Yes, that, so, that sounds crazy. And I'm going to ask you: Is there any evidence of that? Well, like, so imagine you're having this dream, this anxiety. And for me, I always say, like, I always have, like, prof anxiety dreams. Like, when I was a student, I had uh, uh, student anxiety dreams, right? So I'd show up to Mm. be writing a final exam, and i like, oh, my goodness, it's a stats exam, and I studied for social psychology, right? As a prof, now I have... Um, things like I show up to a final and I have no scantrons. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, like when you're having these anxiety dreams, it might shift. Right. Mm-hmm. And but in some cases, it often shifts to yet another anxiety dream. Right. So it's like goes from like me being worried about scantrons. Sometimes it's like there's a tornado and I need to evacuate from the exam center. Right. So scene shifts don't often involve emotional shifts. Okay, so like you wouldn't have a like a really sexy dream and then suddenly shift to a very frightening dream. Right. Those are rare. But if dreams are being created from a random information, that might happen, but it doesn't. Hmm. Let's talk about the, the critical nature of dreams again. So why do you think we don't realize we're dreaming while the dream is happening? 
again, I think it's back down to that good old prefrontal cortex, right? That front part of the brain is kind of, it's pretty silent while we're dreaming. So it's not, it's not telling us that information that like critically, like, oh, you're not actually floating in the sky, for example, right? Hmm. Now, if we think about this, the, the practice theory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it might be that if you knew it was a dream, you wouldn't practice as hard. <laughs> so let, let's say that you're dreaming about like running away from a dangerous person, right? Mm-hmm. If you knew it was a dream, why would you like even right. bother, right? So it may be like right. fooling you has an adaptive function too, right? That's a good point. But some people actually do know they're dreaming, right? Sometimes you're, you're, you're aware of the fact yes. that, oh, I'm actually dreaming. Yeah, yeah. So that's a phenomenon called lucid dreaming. And that's where people know that they're in a dream and they can do whatever they want, knowing that it's a dream. And sometimes they can even control the dream content, like the things around them. But it's rare. Like, I feel like I've been occasionally aware of my being in a dream, especially if it's particularly frightening. Sometimes I'm like, it's a dream, it's a dream, wake up. But it's pretty rare to lucid dream, right? It's pretty rare. Many... Many people have them make it maybe a couple times in their life. You know, we also, there might be lucid dreams that you don't remember upon waking. <laughs> right. Can you learn how to lucid dream? Now, I get this question a lot because, like, if you can, like, lucid dream on command, then a whole world of engaging in fantasy is open up to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, right, right, right. Um, but I did a lot of research for this in preparation for my book on imagination. And... Um, most of the studies are really bad. Uh, most most mm-hmm. of the stuff saying that this works or that works has no evidence at all. It's just sort of like a best practices that people who've tried it kind of thing. I've heard like so, drink orange juice before bed. I've never even heard that one. Jeez, <laughs> my goodness. I've, orange juice. Anyway, so the evidence is really weak um, for how to try to be better at lucid dreaming. Um, but there's some suggestive evidence of a couple of things. One is keeping a dream diary. So uh, it ter- for some reason, rem- being able to better remember your dreams increases your chance of, of going lucid, right? Mm. So keeping a dream diary, writing down your dreams every morning in as much detail as you can, uh, thinking about your dreams uh, helps. Uh, but another thing is doing a reality check. So this is something I try to do sometimes. So one thing that's interesting about dream content is that text rarely stays the same in a dream. So mm. if you read text in a dream and then you turn away and then you look back at the text, often the text is different. Mm-hmm. So if you like do that and you see the text changes, that's good evidence that you're in a dream. But if you don't know you're dreaming, how do you remember to even do this? Right. So that's why you have to make it a habit. So it feels kind of stupid doing it when you're awake because when you're awake, you mm-hmm. feel like you're sure you're awake. But yeah, of course, yeah. when you're dreaming, you also think you're awake. So what you do is you walk around and you see a street sign or you see a piece of text and you look at it, you read it, you know what it is, you look away, you look back. Is it the same? If it is, you're not dreaming. So you just get in the habit of doing that all the time. And granted, most of the time it feels like really silly. But the idea is that if it's enough of a habit, then sometime when you're dreaming, you will like look at your watch in your dream and then look away and look back. And if the time's totally different huh. or um, you read text and then you say, oh, the text changed. I must be dreaming. And then it's a clue. And then you might go lucid. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Another thing common about dreams is that technology often malfunctions. Uh, mm-hmm. So 
sometimes when I pick up my phone and it doesn't turn on, right? Like maybe the battery mm. died or, or whatever, or for any technology is not working, I will immediately do a reality check. Mm. I'll like look for some text and then look away and then look back because uh, it just it just happens to be that the fact that in dreams technology is often failing, right? Hmm. Lucid dreaming sounds fun. It's it's <laughs> it's very very fun. Um, now I had a friend though who got so good at lucid dreaming, she would do it like every single night. But um, and she liked it, but eventually she stopped doing it so much because she felt exhausted. Right. Hmm. She felt like she didn't really get much sleep. Like she wasn't like unconscious enough hours of the day. She was experiencing things for like hours more in the day than most of us. Right. But she could still do it when she wants to. That's wild. So if people want to learn more about dreams, because I'm sure we haven't talked about everything we could talk about about dreams, <laughs> what can they do? Right. So there are a lot of uh, scientific books on dreams. There are a lot of bad books on dreams. So make sure you get a scientific one. But um, I can guarantee that a scientific discussion of dreams is in my book on imagination. There's a whole chapter about dreaming. Fantastic. Well, good night, everybody. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Minding the Brain is edited by me, Mike Contos, and brought to you by Carleton University's Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences, funded in part by a Carleton SSHRC Knowledge Mobilization Grant, and made possible by mitochondria for giving our neurons the energy to make sense of themselves. If you want to support Minding the Brain, please consider leaving us a review in your podcast app of choice, as it will help make our podcast more visible to potential listeners. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Minding the Brain. Music is plucked by Michael Terry. More episodes and show notes available at mindingthebrainpodcast.com. Hold up. 